Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are here on My Turning Point, where this week have the honor of interviewing the great Tears for Fears. Talk about their new album, Out 2022, The Tipping Point, and so much more. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, because an incredible honor, as always, to speak with Tears for Fears. Southern Massachusetts. Interesting. What brings you there? Um, well, uh, my wife and I have a house here. Her family has um, links with this area. And uh, yeah, so we're settled here for the time being on, on overlooking a wonderful river with the most incredible sunsets. That's nice. really beautiful. Yeah. Very nice. Now, where are you, you? Know, where are you? Long Beach, California, where it's nice and sunny today. Oh, oh great. Lovely. Very sunny today. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's right. funny because, you know, we've had certain uh, presidents, I use in air quotes, that don't believe in climate change. But in Long Beach on Sunday, uh, Long Beach on Saturday, it was 60 degrees and Sunday was 85. Wow. Crazy. But, you know, no climate change. No. <laughs> All right. So I'll take 85 right now. I mean, it's starting to get wintry here. But, you know, it's still I mean, we still have blue sky. It's incredible. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny. At this time of year, isn't it nice to have a little bit of seasons? And of course, I say that as someone who's based well, in... Yeah, we have, we, have, we have seasons. I look out the window and there's all these brown dried leaves on the ground. We have seasons like crazy. But, you know, I yeah, sort of grown up in England. I mean, with all those permanent grace gray skies in winter and sometimes you know around this time of year it doesn't even get light so it's quite nice oh wait where was this album written and recorded where was it written and recorded well it was written and recorded in various places we did like a complete circle we started off um not quite knowing what we were doing in um charlton pettis's studio now charlton pettis is our guitarist co-writer and co-producer he made Everybody Loves a Happy Ending with us. Started off there, and um, our manager at the time uh, was convinced that we weren't going to get the record done with that guy in that, in that recording studio. So we started off on this crazy journey, um, working with all these songwriters who we didn't know, modern songwriters who um, uh, were successful at the time and probably still are. And um, we then went, found ourselves in London, doing a lot of work in London with a guy called Sasha Scarbeck. And that was very successful. But uh, long story short, uh, we ended up um, where we started, you know, a little bit T.S. Eliot, you know. So, uh, yeah, we went full circle and we finished the album with Charlton at the end of uh, 2020. All right. Well, the reason I asked specifically is we were talking about the weather and the gray skies, and I'm a big believer in how environment affects writing. So, so I'm curious when you go through this record and listen to the songs that were written in different places, do you hear the various places in the moods of these songs? Well, I think if you listen to Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, that was pretty much all done in Los Angeles, and it was. It's, it's a very light-hearted record in many ways. There, there, there's none of that sort of torment and torture that normally c comes with a Tears for Fears album. Um, 
I there's a lot more torment and torture on this one. I would say the most bright and breezy track was the one that was conceived, written and recorded in LA, which is Break the Man. The other songs, no, not so much. I think they were uh, pretty much conceived in Europe. Okay. I'm just checking on the dates here. I mean, it's funny because, you know, you say that Everybody Loves a Happy Ending was a very, you know, much more upbeat record. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot that happens in an 18-year period. So it's funny. I mean, do you almost feel like a new band at that point? Um, no, we feel like a very old band. We, there is, I don't know, there's a, a very much, um, I think we're in a different stage of life, definitely. There was this amazing sense of adventure um, going back to the early 2000s. Um, for me, especially moving my entire family from England to L.A., um, doing a huge life change. Um, but that wasn't the case with this record. Um, um, we started it probably more than seven years ago. And it was a period where, back in England, um, still um, raising the kids, two boys, and my wife... Uh, my late wife, my first wife, my late wife was um, becoming, well, she kind of hit the menopause and the wheels came off, as I say. So she started suffering from all kinds of um, mental illnesses, you know, anxiety and depression, agoraphobia. Um, she was alcoholic. Uh, she didn't want to eat. And so that was my personal background for the um, uh, personal backdrop for the writing of this album. That's how it started. So always in the back of my mind, even when I was recording in London with Kurt and all the guys, I was literally commuting every day, going back on the train at night to look after my wife, who had been sort of in the day had been looked after by a care company. So it, it's a, <laughs> not the same atmosphere in any way, shape or form to the one um, in which we recorded Happy End. And of course, since that period, um, we invented, you know, obviously beginning of 2020, the pandemic. Post that, um, very much life-changing events for the whole world. Post that, um, BLM protests, riots, lots of things for the artist to to concentrate on and, and to interpret in their own way and try and sort of make sense of. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot to go in with that. Cause like you say, it, and it's an interesting thing because even from the end of 2020, when the record was pretty much done, as you say, to now so much has changed on a massive level. And obviously mm -hmm. you've gone through so much personal change yeah. and upheaval. It's interesting when you go back and listen to this record, are there things that, I, so let's backtrack for a second. You know, obviously you were dealing with a tremendous amount. Did, can't talk this morning, but it's still early here in LA. Did you start writing with the idea of catharsis? Was it something that came about because basically you were going through so much that you just needed that element of letting go artistically? Mm, well, catharsis is um, pretty much at the heart of Tears of Fears. You know, it was very much evident in our first album, The Hurting, um, inspired by 
um, Arthur Yanov's primal, primal scream, primal theory, and that you can't get more cathartic than that. Um, I think the nature of songwriting and expressing yourself in music, sometimes it's the only way you really can. You are seeking some kind of harmonious form which best describes um, the state you're in. Um, is it really cathartic? Probably no more than alcohol. <laughs> you know, it's just a kind of, uh, it's a way of self-soothing. But, you know, out of that, you hope that someone somewhere who's going through a similar thing who can't express themselves the way maybe we can, maybe they will latch onto it and go, wow, that's, that, that song means, uh, means an awful lot to me and it makes a lot of sense. Well, but it's interesting, as you say, I mean, for you as an artist, obviously, there's a reason that for every artist, there is a reason that they choose to express themselves through mm -hmm. writing and music. So yep. when you go back and listen to this record, for example, are yep. there elements that you hear on the tipping point that take you back to what you were dealing with? And again, good writing is subconscious. It comes out, it leads itself. So then when you go back and hear it, you're like, oh, I didn't know that I was thinking that or feeling that. So are there moments on this well, record? I'm, I'm fully aware of what I was thinking and feeling at the time. Um, there's a song on the album called Please Be Happy, which is literally about watching someone curl up in a chair and suffer from depression and not do anything. Uh, I, I mean, that was kind of cathartic at the time, but I find it extremely painful to listen to. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the good thing I like about this album, and I think the reason why it, it took a long time, because I think because there has to, that there needed to be some kind of resolution to the whole narrative. Um, it wasn't enough to just talk about that phase in my life. I think that the phase that followed which was, although very, very painful, ended up with me happily remarried. <laughs> and um, I think the song Rivers of Mercy is a beautiful, beautiful attempt at, um, you know, that's the desire and, and seeking of redemption when faced with chaos. So it's interesting, though. It's funny. You say you knew exactly what you were thinking and feeling. And obviously, yes, it's a very emotional time. It's yeah. a very, you know, you're dealing with so much. But are there things that go back and that when you come back and listen to the record that still surprise you because, you know, you are dealing with so much. So mm. you come back and hear this record and it's like, okay, you know, because I'm sure that, you know, you weren't, I guess what I'm trying to say is you probably weren't 100% focused on the record at the time either. I wasn't. I was, I'm always 100% focused um, on, on, on the record in terms of, you know, I'm a man and men are pretty good at, at switching off <laughs> to whatever's going on in their life, all the real stuff. We're, we're big on denial. So I, I was focused on it. I think what I didn't have um, was the, the big picture and I didn't have the, the, what's it, sort of ultimate sense of, um, expressing a narrative. I didn't have that at all. None, neither of us did. It wasn't until we virtually rejected 
fit well we rejected 50 percent of a, an album that we'd done which was almost finished in 216 uh, that we and we fell apart kurt and i again fell apart on the tour um sort of kurt looking at retirement can can you blame him um it wasn't really until then that um things started to pick up and the new writing is really, I think, the thing that, that makes gives the album its its perspective. Well, that's interesting. So take me through a little bit of, of some of the, then, you know, as you say, the new writing. I yep. mean, how much of the record is, is done pre-216 and how much of it is newer? Uh, it's about 50-50, it's about you know. I mean, I would say that the songs that we agreed on, that we kept on from 216, we had to rework. And I mean, even to the point of rewriting lyrics, redoing vocals, um, stripping away some of the layers of the programming, which were, well, without getting too technical, all the stuff at the top and all the clutter and the clatter, stripping that back, making it a little bit more grounded and a little bit more beefy. Um, but, uh, you know, Kurt was, was pretty convinced it wasn't, it wasn't right. And I needed, you know, his full participation. Um, so we got together the beginning of 2020, this is pre pandemic. Um, we went, uh, we took two acoustic guitars to Kurt's house in LA. We sat together with a, an iPhone tape recorder, if you like. Um, voice memos and just started playing around and Kurt hit this sort of uh, riff, acoustic guitar riff and that was the basis of the of track, track number one and so that's why we put it as track number one it's a song called No Small Thing starts off and it's the absolute reverse of everything we were trying to do previously which was all up-tempo attempts at making hit singles, trying to be contemporary, whatever that means um, this was the complete reverse. This was us going into, I don't know, Johnny Cash, country and western, bits of Led Zeppelin. And I think once we had that demo up and running, Kurt, Kurt and I were pretty convinced that we were onto something much better. From that, within a few months, we had Rivers of Mercy, Break the Man, and um, a song called Master Plan. So it was all, then you're, you, when you're putting the record together, you're sort of spoilt for choice because at any point you can go back and cherry pick some of the older tracks. But we didn't cherry pick too many. And once we put them all in order, we seem to somehow have created um, a monster, a good one. See, it's so interesting on so many levels. And it's an interesting thing because, I mean, look, obviously it's been 18 years between, by the time this record comes out, it'll be 18 years between albums. You guys mm -hmm. have been a, a touring band, as you say, you sort of fell apart in 2016, but worked mm -hmm. it out. But it's a fascinating thing because I talk about this with so many artists who have your stature you know, whether it's a Lindsey Buckingham, whether it's a Motley Crue, and I'm not talking about artistic stature, but that ability to sell out arenas and stadiums mm -hmm. is that basically, you know, at that point, doing another album becomes really more for you than it does 
for fans because you could sell out. You're touring next year with Garbage, who absolutely I freaking love, by the way. It's going to be such a great show. But you could do the forum based on catalog at this point. So for you guys, how important was it for you to have the tipping point just to keep things fresh and exciting and make sure that it doesn't just become, okay, we're doing, you know, all the songs that everybody knows already? Well, you you have a choice. Obviously, you can uh, you can either rest on your laurels, or you can continue to go through the extremely painful process <laughs> of making a record. And I've always written songs. You know, I've got. You know, I'm still writing songs. You know, and a lot of the songs will never see the light of day. But. You know, there were there were a couple of things going on. I mean, we were get, getting a little bit tired of playing the same songs. Um, we can switch it around, obviously, at any point. But we were amassing some extremely, um, extremely good songs, songs that would work great live. And that, that's kind of what I'm excited about. Um, obviously your voice changes as you get older. You don't, I, I struggle with some of those songs I wrote when I was 21, 22. And I want to be able to go out on stage and sing, sing uh, a melody and a lyric that reflects who I am now. Um, and so with this album, I don't know if we would have toured much again without some new material, put it, put it bluntly. It's not just that you, who are you as an artist? Are you, are you what, what's called a heritage act? Are you, is that all you are? And of course, for the large, for, for the, probably for a global audience, yeah, we always will be. But there's a hell of a lot of people out there who know every song we've ever done. Uh, and so for me, this next stage is exciting. And regardless of what happens with this record, I, I know for sure I feel extremely confident that when we step on stage and the first track will be the tipping point from the album, the tipping point, we will, we will be a different band than we were the last time we played live. Interesting. So how much have you thought about playing the new material live? Cause you mentioned oh, starting with the tipping point. A lot because uh, it's a question that we're going to have to drop a lot of numbers, obviously. Uh, but that's okay. We started um, playing more and more from the hurting over the past few years because of the popularity of, of, of Mad World via various people. Um, we may drop a couple of those tracks, um, but uh, until we actually take it out, we do four or five shows, we won't really know. But there are four or five absolute cracking up-tempo tunes on this new album, which... Um, which we have to do, I think. So what are the ones for you that you have to do? The tipping point. Okay. No small thing is going to be a cracker. Um, break the man, bright and breezy, up and tempo, up tempo. My demons, a crazy bit of heavy electronica and long, long time, that kind of thing. You know, it's interesting. I don't want to bring it, but it, it, you know, I've had this conversation with multiple artists too about where you have songs that take on this deeply personal resonance. And mm -hmm. 
you know, the classic example, right? I remember talking to Adele when she put out 21 about someone mm-hmm. like you. We were doing an AOL session and she talked about the fact that the song was so difficult for her, she couldn't really play it live or she would play it live very infrequently. And of course, then it became the most played song in the history of the universe. It's probably close to yesterday at this point for being most played. So you mentioned Please Be Happy, Be Difficult. Is that song that you think you would do or is it one that you are happy to have on the record? But Yeah, I'm happy to have it on the record. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You know, let's go back for a second too. And you mentioned doing more songs from the Herdig. And, mm. you know, the other thing that happened too is, right, so many artists had opportunity to look back during COVID where you normally are a touring band. You don't have that timeline to be able to look back and reflect for a second. So with that year plus that you were forced off stage, is mm. there like, are there songs that you have developed a new appreciation for that you're excited to come back to because as you say, also the other thing too is like, you know, for you personally, you went through so much change. Well, I don't know really. I mean, we, um, we started to include some of the uh, cover versions that artists have done. We would um, play the Lord, everybody wants to rule the world before we went on stage. And the first song we would play is our, everybody wants to rule the world. Um, there's a song from The Hurting called Memories Fade, which Kanye West took um, and turned into Coldest Winter. So we use a bit of the Kanye West Coldest Winter at the beginning of our um, version of Memories Fade. So there's always those things that we've, we've revisited. Um, you know, we, we've been doing this crazy version of the Badman song from Caesar Love live. And that's something that's... Um, I don't know. It just turns us again into another animal life. And I absolutely love it. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. We were also doing a, a cover version of Creep by Radiohead. I'm not quite sure if we're going to do that this time. I doubt it. You know. Well, it's funny because as you say, you're not sure you're going to do it this time. You doubt it. But I mean, obviously, as you say, having new material to play, just able to, like I said, can't talk too early, but having new material to play enables you to change the setup so much more than you had the opportunity to do the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. But I said, until we, until we actually get out there and put it all together, I mean, this is going to be a joy programming things. We have so much choice nowadays, a real joy. It's such an interesting thing too, because obviously you and I spoke for that book that I'm doing about mm-hmm. everybody wants to rule the world. And I remember yeah. at one point, not long ago, you toured with Hall and Oates and actually Hall and Oates are in the book. And I spoke with Daryl Hall about Sarah Smile and about how he saw, blah, 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 how he saw things differently during the pandemic. And one of the things he talked about was really wanting to focus more on solo material. But I think why I mentioned that, it's interesting. What you are finding is a lot of artists, as you say, you have a choice to make want to focus on the future. And for, I think, every artist, it just gets boring living in the past. So for you guys... I, mean, I don't, I don't uh, yeah, living in the past, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's uh, possible, really. I mean, uh, certainly living off the past is, uh, is, is, is not a bad thing. And I'm very, very grateful for the younger Roland and, and all, his, all the songs he wrote. And I'm very, very grateful for, for the fact that, you know, when we were kids, we were successful pop stars. But, you know, you can't, you know, you can look at me now, I've got white hair. It's not quite the same thing. So, therefore, we are, I don't know, 
we're faced with a new challenge. It's a new challenge. Um, pop music is for the for the young. Pop music is, um, you know, a bit like being a soccer player. You know, it's much easier when you're younger. And but with streaming nowadays, there seems to be more uh, more of an outreach for all, you know all kinds of artists and. Um, People seem to have more Aquarian tastes, more Catholic tastes, and, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I come at it from like from the artist standpoint. I think for every yeah. artist, it's not a matter of commercial relevance. It's a matter of wanting to keep things fresh and exciting and interesting for you, you yeah. know, and that's kind of what I was getting at. But now it's interesting as well. For you, are there artists that you mentioned, of course, starting, you know, having success in pop and then coming to this, are there artists that you particularly admire for the way that they've been able to evolve over the years? And it's funny because you mentioned the white hair and I spoke with, you know, both Adam Clayton and Edge during COVID. And, you know, obviously there's a band that has had a lot of commercial success over years, but also mm-hmm. continues to evolve and change. So I'm just curious for you. And of course, I, I guess I always go back to Bowie as being sort of the quintessential of being able to evolve. Well, Bowie or Bowie is is a great example because he went through peaks and troughs. I mean, you could, if you were really harsh and critical, you could probably take three or four, maybe five albums from the Bowie catalogue and throw them in the bin. You know, it's he was an incredible, incredible creative genius who redeemed himself at the end. I mean, for me, when he, um, when he came back with Where Are We Now? And he was unashamedly looking his age. It was such a powerful and moving statement of basically, you're going to have to accept me as I am. And there is, I don't know, some people don't have a choice. Some people have a choice. And I, I hope that we're doing something a little bit more like that, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't mind having not made a record for 18 years because quite possibly, as I said with Bowie, those albums could well have easily been put in the bin. <laughs> so we've avoided that, okay, we, it makes what we do a bit more of an uphill struggle because in many senses we are starting again. Um, in many senses, although people know the name Tears for Fears, we are very much starting off like a, a young and new band, having to do all the interviews, having to talk to all the radio stations, try and get their support. There isn't much difference between us now even having had a 40-year career and a new band starting out. But it's funny, does that also in a way, I guess this is what I was getting at too, in a way sort of keep things fresh for you because when you do do it, it is like, like you say, it's a new challenge. So it's yeah. not like, look, I just saw the Stones in LA, right? Phenomenal yeah. show. Great. But the Stones are going out there, they're playing the hits, you know mm-hmm. what's coming. And also, you know, they don't have to do, I mean, basically... <laughs> how do I want to put the, you know, they're living off the past, you know, and they're still selling out stadiums 
And it's an amazing yeah, but, show. Yeah, that, that's one. That's one perspective. Okay, that, that, but that's one perspective. Look at it from inside. Look at it from inside the person. Look at it from what is it like to be inside Mick Jagger? Yeah. So here is a man who has every right to go on stage, sing whatever he wants. You know, all the big hits. He's got a ferocious back catalogue. He's got millions of people who wants to see him. He must feel great. What else is he going to do? 78 years old, he can do what he likes. He can sit on a beach in the Caribbean. You know, he can sit in his house, his massive house in the middle of France. But here is a guy who exercises like mad, who wants to feel alive. That's what we, that's what we are here for. You know, that we, if you don't choose life, if you don't choose energy, if you don't choose to express yourself, you're just going to slow down and decay. We're all going to do that anyway. So why we still have the chance, I think, you know, Mick Jagger is funny because I'm never really into the Rolling Stones until I read this sort of um, biography of him, yeah? And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, my God, this, my God, this guy is incredible. And, yeah, instead of, you know, ageism is still, it's the last acceptable bias, you know, we, you know, you'll get cancelled for racism, for sexism, for homophobia, but not ageism. And I just think it's, it's quite incredible because, you know, you know damn well that what's the next stage for the Rolling Stones. You know what? You know, we all know what it is. And likewise for a lot of us. You know, so I think it's, it's noble. It's a noble act to uh, go out there and, uh, and, and continue to express yourself. Oh, I agree 100%. Like I said, I'm not knocking it, but it's funny because then you look at there's other artists that are that Neil Young, Dylan, yeah. who do, yeah. you know, who insist on putting out new music. To yeah. And I mean, you look at a song like Multitudes that came out. And again, every artist approaches it differently. That's yeah. fine. I guess what I was trying to get at for you was the challenge and perspective that, you know, and so as you say, having to almost start over for each record, yeah. does that in a way keep things fresh in a way that's different than, you know, coming out and opening with just keeps things fresh is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, because, you know, again, it's, it's, you're either, you know, you're either a you know, heritage act or you're an artist. And I, you know, I was, this was a long, an ongoing argument with our previous manager who in many ways didn't want us to make another record. You know, he said heritage, you know, every now and again, a heritage act does make another record. And I'm thinking, what? What? So life is over? You know, the creative, creative life is over? We're essentially dead? We're dummies? We're stuffed? We're mannequins? You know, um, no, I, 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 you know, when you have things going on in your heart that you need to get out, you, you just have to do it regardless, regardless of how successful it is. All right, well, we'll wrap up on this, but when you go back and listen to The Tipping Point as a whole record, yeah. what do you take from it when you listen to this as a complete work? And Well, I, I'm quite surprised because I, I think Kurt and I are always tentative. We're, we're not, we never slap each other on the back. Um, we are never too arrogant. We have a good way of sort of, um, what's the word, refereeing each other, making sure neither of us gets too big for their boots. You know, um, but I think when we were listening to it back and during various parts of the album, I, it was dawning on me. And I said to Kurt, I said, I, 
think this is going to get really good reviews. And he's like looking at me like, duh. <laughs> it's, I know, I thought we, we, we were really pleased with Happy Ending, but you can see it's a lot more casual, a record, than we've done in the past, all the big records, the big hitters. Um, far too casual, too, too happy, way too happy. This one, you know, there's so much pain and so much suffering and so much torture going in against the backdrop of massive socio-political and cultural change. You know, I think we've, we've managed to capture it on this record. When I listen back to it, it sounds to me like a classic Tears for Fears record album. Interesting, yeah. But it's funny because it doesn't feel... Like, you say it sounds like a classic Tears for Fears album, but listening to it from the outside perspective, it also feels very modern and it feels like there's a sort of sing-song quality to it. There's a sort of like, um, I guess, dignity to it that I really love as well. Well, that dignity is is a good good word, I think. Yeah, a very good word. And I think that's 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 it describes it very well. Well, then on that note, is there anything you want to add I didn't ask you about? No, that's great. Cool. Thank you so much. Great you talking to you. Congratulations on the record. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Tears for Fears. Thanks. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept. And to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition smart bed Queen now only $19.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.